Now, if you would please open your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're in the second half of the book of Ephesians, and pretty quickly, we are seeing that Paul is concerned about the quality of our relationships. The second half of this book seems to be all about relationships, and God is concerned about our relationships. God has given us this good news called the gospel. Now, the gospel, for those who have never heard it before, is the message about what happened to God's son. What happened to God's son? God's son was sacrificed on a cross for you and me. God gave up his only son for you and me, and from his son we receive forgiveness and joy and new life. That is the good news. Now, God gives us this good news in the Bible, and he says, work it out in every part of life. Work it out in every relationship. Every relationship. Work out the gospel. Now, what I want you to do is just take a short moment and identify in your mind what you would consider to be the most difficult relationship in your life. Okay? Ten seconds. I don't want you to name the person out loud. You know, I don't want you to, like, give them a nudge, you know. But just, I want you to just to identify in your mind who is, who is probably the most difficult person, the dip, most difficult relationship in your life. For some of you, it might be a spouse. For others of you, it might be your boss. Maybe a few of you are thinking about me. No, that never happened. For some of you, the first name and the first faith that face that came to mind was mom or dad, right? For some of us. Some of us have overbearing parents. Some of us have an overbearing mom or an overbearing dad. I remember there was a time when I was a youth pastor, and there was a teenage girl that was in our youth, and she was just as sweet as you can imagine. Always gentle, gentle always cheerful, like just having like a real cheerleader's kind of personality. And one day, uh, I overheard her talking on her cell phone, and it was like this. I said, tomorrow. Tomorrow. (laughs) Bye. I I was surprised. I've never seen that come out of this woman before. It was very, you know, contrary to her nature. It was like, who was that? Was that like your parole officer? You know, who was that? And she goes, you know, the sweetest, oh, that was my mom, right? Some of us, no one brings out the nasty in us like mom does. And some of our teenagers think our, our, our parents are overbearing, but the truth is, it's because they have to bear over time with you. I said that with love. Actually, the teenagers are over there. Um, but yeah, I would say that to them. Some of us have an overbearing mom or an overbearing dad, and the truth is some of us are overbearing moms and overbearing dads, and we're in a season of life where we're really struggling to let our kids go. Some of us have a strong mentoring relationship with our kids. You talk about God, you talk about the opposite sex, you talk about sports, and you've nurtured that relationship ever since they were young, and now you're reaping the benefits. But there are others of us, not so much. Maybe you feel unqualified to be the spiritual mentor of your your children. Maybe you feel like it's too late to actually develop that kind of relationship. 
The book of Ephesians has four verses that are directed especially and directly to the relationship between kids and their parents. Just four verses, but if we unpack these four verses, there's so much that the scripture is saying. And so while you're listening to me unpack these verses, what I want you to do is also give an ear to the Holy Spirit. And I bet you he will personalize this message and tell you what, you, what it is that you need to hear, okay? So verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. For some of us, this is like your favorite verse. Children, obey your parents in the, ver- in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, I want to point out, the first word is children. Okay? Generally speaking, the expectation for children is that they're young. So Paul, in the church, is addressing the whole church, and there's a certain segment, they're probably sitting with their parents, they're young. They're under the care and... Uh, protection of their parents. They're still in the house. These are young children. And the first thing that God wants these young children to work on is obedience to their parents. And so you can actually switch this around. Parents with young children, the first thing that God wants you to work on with your children is training them to be obedient to you. First thing. Now, I just, I'm just warning for all the parents with young children, how do you respond to that? Seems to me that if you tell your kids at a reasonably young age, no video games, that the expectation is that there would be no video games at this moment. Correct me if I'm wrong, you know? Like, or if you're at church and you say, okay, it's time to go. I think the expectation of the scripture is that they would get up and they would start preparing to go. I mean, correct? I mean, obedience, right? But I, I do think that there's something in the American mindset where moms and dads shy away from being people who command, uh, shy away from being people who expect obedience from their kids. You know, we kind of think it's too old school. It's too authoritarian. It's too oppressive. And so we don't want to say no. We want to give options, you know? We don't want to give commands. We want to give suggestions. And I'm not saying that's bad. But generally speaking, the Bible expects your children to obey you. And so you should expect from your children that they would obey you, you know? Now, when we don't expect that, I do think that we're doing a fair amount of harm to our children. Why? Because the most important thing that a child needs to learn is how to submit to the authority of another person. Because eventually, they will be constantly submitting to the authority of God. And so, so during this short time, when you are their earthly father, you're preparing them to one day obey and submit to their heavenly father all the time. And so during my short time with them, I'm preparing them to be people who obey and submit to the heavenly father. And so, you know, you, I want to make this very important. Like, this is the most important or one of the most important things I can teach my kids when they're young. Now, why should a parent expect and teach and train their children to be obedient to them? Why? Well, the scripture says, for this is right. This is right. In God's mind, according to God's law, according to how he wants things to run, this is right. And this is how God wants it to be. Children need to obey their parents. Okay, verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, I, I just want to point out, notice how the passage says honor. And I, I'd like to point this out. Like, when you're young, the emphasis is obey. But when you grow older into a man or a woman, the emphasis is honor. Obey and honor are different, slightly different. Now, pardon the, you know, the, the, the crassness of my definition, but um, obedience... Maybe one definition we can play with is uh, do what you're told. Honor is different, though. Honor is to give respect and esteem. It's to give care and attention. Sometimes it means not obeying them. Now, this is a word to parents who have children who are no longer children. They have become men and women. A man or a woman has been given by God the responsibility to choose. They are no longer ours to command. I, I was wondering if my mom was here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, mom says, yes, they may look like men and women, but they act like children. And as long as they act like children, I need to tell them what's wrong. I need to tell them what to do. I need to, to fix what's right. And my word from this scripture to mom and dads on this matter is that the time to tell him or her what to do has passed. Now is no longer the time to command. It's the time to empower. Now is no longer the time to tell them what to do, but we ask them what they're planning to do. We spent a good part of their lives telling them what is right and wrong, and now we need to empower them so they can choose for themselves. Uh, I want to say that the parents with teens are in this gradual transition, and they're asking questions like, how can I bring up my kids to the point where they don't need me anymore? And that is the right question we should be asking. What, what can I do to give them appropriate levels of responsibility so they can step up? It's not going to happen all overnight, but gradually, gradually, I'm switching from expecting obedience to expecting honoring. I'm switching from telling them what to do to empowering them so they can discern what's right and wrong and make good decisions for themselves. Now, uh, so, you know, a parent who is an empowerer will say things like this. Will say things like this. When your, man, your, your children are a, a man or a woman, you say, I, just hear me out. Give me five minutes. Let me say my piece. And once you say your piece, you say, okay, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. You decide. Those are words of empowerment. Okay, on a related note, what do you do if your parents want you to do one thing, but God wants you to do another thing? What do you do? What do you do when that conflict sort of happens? Recently, I um, bumped into a, a woman who was attending our church, and she feels called to be a missionary overseas like China, India. And I was, I was very happy for her. I said, that's, that's terrific. That's, what an amazing calling. And she said, uh, but Pastor Andrew, there's this one problem. My parents have basically forbidden me to go and do this. And, and she was saying this in the, middle of, in the midst of tears. What, what, am I, what do I do? If you have a Bible, would you turn to me to Luke 14, 26? Uh, my question is not, what would you advise this person to do? 
my question is, what does the Bible advise us to do? What does the Bible say? Luke 14, 26, 6 says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus says hate, he's not saying hate actively. Okay, that wouldn't make sense. But he's saying hate comparatively. In other words, your love for me must be so high that every other love is secondary. Your allegiance for me is so top that all other allegiances look like bottom in comparison. So if you take a scripture like this and you apply it into this situation with this, this young woman with a very bright future, what's the word? The word is that when God and your parents disagree, you have to go with God. Because God is your first allegiance. God is your first loyalty. But, this is very important, but you must do so with honor and respect. I've talked to a lot of people who had this conflict and ultimately they decided to go on the narrow path and to do what God was telling them to do. But they look back and they were filled with all this regret like I should have done it with honor and respect. I should have done it with honor and respect. I wish I could go back and do that over. God calls us to follow him first. And in doing so, we honor and respect our parents. I I do want to point this out. I I think this is often uh, a a big problem, especially if your parents are older. Maybe they're Chinese. Maybe they're they're non-Christian. But there's there's often this, this issue where our parents, maybe they're kind of old school, in their minds there's no distinction between honor and, and, and obedience. Uh, for them, honor equals obedience, right? Like, if you honor me, then you will do what I say. It doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50. It's the same thing as you were a child, the same thing as you were older. Now, I would say this is where you as an adult need to help your parents transition from obey to honor. Uh, maybe there's a place for you to explain to them the difference between honoring and obeying. Maybe you need to talk to them and just point out that there's a difference. You can say things like, Mom, Dad, I do listen to you. I do value what you have to say. I I ask you because I value you, and when you tell me, I I weigh it heavily. It means a lot to me. But at the end, I felt like as a man or as a woman, it's for me to decide, and so... I made a choice, but I value you. I weighed it heavily. I respect you. And those, those are words of honor. Those are words of honor. And for a lot of us, we need to help our, our parents make that transition and point out that there is that difference between obedience and honor. Uh, for some of our parents who are not Christian, they feel very threatened when their children become Christians. They, they feel that they're, they're losing their kids. Uh, I'll never forget this story. Um, when Daniel was baptized, uh, his, his mother, who's not a Christian, came to church. And on the day of his baptism, his mom approached him and said, you know, Daniel, today you are no longer my son. And, uh, you know, I, I thought those were very very harsh words, but actually, actually, Daniel was explaining to me what that meant. It, it wasn't like, he wasn't, she wasn't disowning her son. W- what she was doing is, she's never read the Bible, but she's very spiritually astute. She 
was realizing that by Daniel being baptized, he was realigning who his first allegiance was to. It was no longer to her, but it was to Jesus. And so when she said, you're no longer my son, she was saying, you're now your first allegiance is with God. And I think, actually, Daniel's mother was being very spiritually astute. That really is what is happening. But there is another dynamic that I don't think she understands. And that other dynamic is, yes, she's losing her son, but she's actually gaining a new kind of son. She's gaining a new kind of of son that honors their father and mother that puts God first and honors their father and mother. Now, let me put it this way. When a person becomes a Christian, it's like they're, they're, they're giving up the rights to their life. They're saying, okay, Jesus, I surrender to you. And it's almost like Jesus goes, okay, well, one of the first things that I want you to do is honor your father and mother. It's almost like once you let go of your kids, they come right back to you with a new sense of maturity. You're no longer their idol, but they honor and they respect you as an act of worship to God. Now, some of us, our parents are non-Christian, and the most meaningful uh, way you can show them the gospel is actually just by honoring them, by care and attention, calling them up, letting them know that you value them. Uh, Go to verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, I want to talk about this part. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, uh, most of the times when we read this this passage, we think, oh, well, this must be the first commandment with a promise. But the problem with that is that it's not actually. If you read the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, this is not the first commandment with a promise. The second commandment actually has a promise to it. So that leaves us with a bunch of problems, okay? So uh, there's a bunch of, uh, there's several interpretations that we can come from that issue. Number one, you can say, well, the second commandment really doesn't have a promise. Or you can read the, the, uh, the, the first and with a promise separately. You can say, okay, this is of first importance. Oh, and by the way, it also has a promise. Or what you can do is you can take the, the Ten Commandments and you can divide them into part one and part two. Part one, the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. Part two, the next six, deal with our relationships with other people. Now, of part two that really deals with relationships with other people, this one is number one. Okay, now regardless of the interpretation, one thing is very clear. And this is that Paul is saying, as the scriptures attest, that honoring your father and mother is really, really important. And I think, unmistakably, you can take that from the text. Let me put it to you a, diff- a different way. Um, how many of you, you know, obviously, something like murder is pretty bad, right? Let's say you're an accountability group and you're got sharing about, you know, your sins. It wouldn't be appropriate to go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I stole some pens from work and I shouldn't have done that. Oh, no, that's right, I shouldn't have kill those two men. I mean, people don't do that, right? Because murder is, is, is such a serious crime that it deserves its own category, right? Okay, adultery. Okay, adultery is pretty bad, right? Adultery is pretty bad. Those of us who are married, that, that's a big no-no, obviously. And stealing. 
But in the ordering of things, you would probably put murder first as a, really the biggest no-no, and then adultery, and then stealing, right? But take a look at this. What number commandment is do not murder? It's number six. And adultery, number seven. And stealing, number eight. What's number five that leads the list? And that's how important it is. It actually comes before do not murder. <laughs> now, why is that so important? I, I, I do think that one of the reasons why this is so important is that the most practical way you can honor God, who is your heavenly father, is by honoring your earthly father. In other words, if you can't honor your earthly father, who is that representative, that reflection of God, then, then how in the world are you actually honoring your, your heavenly father? So, I mean, the, the good news is kind of like when your parents let go of your kids, non-Christian parents, you let go of your kids, your kids actually come back to you. But there's a greater level of maturity. There's a God-centeredness, and they honor their parents as one of their acts of devotion to God. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Okay, so... This is the promise. You know, when he says the first command, with a, this is the promise, okay? Now, I want you to keep in mind that when this commandment was given, it was given to a community, not just an individual. And a lot of times when we read this, we kind of go, oh, yeah, but I know this person who, who honored their parents, and they died young. This was not given, okay, let me put it this way. In California, in the Californian language, we don't have a really a good word for you meaning a community. There's no you plural, it's only you singular, right? But in the South, they do have a word like that, and it's called what? Y'all. Okay, now let's read it again like we're, from, from, we're good old Southern folk, right? Okay, I'll stop the, the accent because that, that's annoying. But, I mean, no, 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 not annoying, but it just I shouldn't be doing that. Okay. <clears throat> that it may go well, okay, honor your all's father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with y'all, and that y'all may live long in the land. Right? So, in other words, if you do this together as a community, it's going to be very good for your community and for your society. There will be order. There will be strong values. One generation will provide and esteem the next. This is going to be good for the longevity of your community practically, but there's also another way on, later on top where God sees that you're living lives the way that he ordered it to be, to be, and so he's supernaturally blessing this community. And there's longevity, and there's health, and there's blessing, and there's care. But I thought about it a little bit longer, and I do think there's a way you can individually apply this. I'll give you an example. I think this would be best fleshed out with an example, okay? This is the example. There's a way to individually apply. Let's say it's Thursday night. You have a full-time job. You have young kids. You worked all day. You're exhausted. Then you come home... And you go through the bedtime routine, which should please you even more. You put the kids to bed. Then you ask your spouse, how are you doing? That takes some time. And then you get maybe one or two hours of free time before you go to bed and repeat the whole cycle over again. But during that one or two hours, you're vegging out on the couch. You have some potato chips. You're watching. Uh, you're on your iPad. And then the phone rings. You don't pick up the phone because this is your veg time. But on the answering machine is the wonderful, melodious voice of your mother. And so, this is Mama. Please pick up the phone. Okay, that's you. 
What do you do? A. You let mama keep on talking. B. You pick up the phone and try to be as generous as you can. C. You ask your spouse to pick up the phone. D. You pick up the phone, but you say, Mom, I'm really tired. Can you talk to my spouse? Okay. What would you guys say? Uh, this, is, this is what I want you to remember. The next time this happens, I want you to remember that whatever you do, your kids will catch you doing it sooner or later. And whatever you do, you are giving your kids permission and license to do the very same thing back to you because one day you'll be older, you won't have as many friends, and you'll want to see your grandchildren too. Okay? So what would you do? What should you do? It's the golden rule. Maybe that's why Paul says you will live along in the land, you will be well provided for good. Because if you do it and your kids see you do it, then probably they will do it back to you one day and then you'll be well provided for by them. Okay? Now, personally, I would actually want my son to pick up the phone and say, Dad, I've had a really long day. Can I talk to you later? And I'll be like, okay, let's talk on Saturday. I'll be right over or something like that, right? Maybe that's what you should do um, if you're okay with them doing that back to you later on. Okay, now... Verse 4, I think it switches from upward parenting to downward parenting, if you will, you know? Uh, So verse 4 is now talking to fathers, fathers who have care and provision over their kids. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Okay? Do not provoke them to anger. Now, I could whip out a list of all the ways that, you know, are possible of us provoking our children, but I'm not going to do that. I'm only going to come up with three for what I do to provoke my own children, okay? This is very personal. One thing that I do is if I have more negative interactions with them than positive interactions, like, you know, more, like negative interactions, like you shouldn't do that, can you do, the, uh, please stop doing that to your sister. Positive interactions is, you know, hey, I loved how you did that, and it's great to see you. If you have more negative than positive, that would exasperate your children. And I'm saying one-to-one actually isn't enough. It's more like you want to do four positive and before the, the one negative. And I think our, our, our numbers are kind of out of whack. When I make demands of them without explaining to them why, that can tend to provoke them. And I can do that from time to time when I just want efficiency. I just want them to stop. When I expect them to follow a code of rules, but that actually I break them because I'm above the, the law, that tends to provoke them too. Now, I want to say this. As a preacher, when you cover a topic that is broad as parenting, sometimes you get frustrated, like you wish the scripture were saying more. You wish there wasn't four verses and just one for parenting. You wish there were 14 verses. Like, how come marriage got 11 and parenting just got four and parenting actually just got one? And you kind of go, but here's the thing. By, by the scripture only having one verse, it's actually saying a lot of things. Because what's not in there speaks very loudly as well. Now, this is what I mean for, for parents. What's not in this verse, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, is I don't hear anything about providing them a comfortable life. I also don't hear anything about preparing them to be successful according to the values of the world. I don't see that. But what I do see is this emphasis, like Paul saying, look, if you just do one thing, if this, if this is my only instruction to you, you know, uh, your first responsibility, like if you took your job description, the very first thing on the job description would be this. Bring them up in the discipline, which means training, and the instruction, which means correction, advice, encouragement. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of 
the Lord. Bam, that's it. In other words, make this your first priority. If you're going to do one thing with your kids, at the very top of your list, teach, correct, train, encourage, give good counsel to them so they become men and women who love God and are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, I do want to say this, and it's going to sound a little bit harsh, but I have to say this because I want to be a good pastor. I, want to, I don't want to um, be afraid to say some of the hard things. I've been a youth minister for five years, and then I also mentor uh, our youth directors. And they will talk to me about some of the problems that they've experienced in, in youth ministry. And the observation is that it really seems that when church events are pitted against other events in the schedule, that there seems to be this great kind of butting of the heads. And oftentimes, it's the other events that will win. So if you take, you know, a church event like, like basic or even coming to church and you pit it against sports or an SAT class or a piano recital, who wins? And most of the time I hear stories where the other stuff wins. It's just an observation. Uh, there was a, 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 a young person who used to be in our youth ministry, Jordan, and he's going to be an intern for us during the summer. But you may not have heard this story. There was a season of time where, G, uh, where Jordan was on the basketball team, and he was a basketball star. Now, I know this because, actually, that's what Jordan told me. So, no, I, I'm pretty sure he was very good. He was very good. He was a star, actually. But during that season of time, God said, no basketball. I want you to make me your first priority. Now, it's interesting. As he looks back on that process, he would be the first to admit that he should have, could have honored his parents better in that process. And he regrets he did not do that better. But there's a certain brilliance, there's a certain grit to that story. And I love that story. Could have been done better, but I love, why? Because I don't hear those stories very much. Often I hear the stories where it was something and the church and the something always won. The something always triumphed. And all I'm saying is that past, this passage says, look, our first responsibility individually and communally is train up those kids in the Lord. That should take first priority, individually, sure, but also on a communal, on, on the calendar, right? I'm not trying to discount the complexity of our lives. I'm just saying that our first priority as parents is to bring up our kids in the training and instruction of the Lord, and we just got to think communally how, how we can do that. That's what I'm saying, that Scripture challenges us. The Scripture challenges us. Now, when we talk about strategies for bringing up your children to the Lord, I think you guys know me well enough to know what my first point is going to be, right? Even without looking at the outline, Right? Because I've said it before, you know that I'm going to say that the most effective way to bring up your kids in the Lord is for you as their parent to model to them what it looks like to make God your first love. If, if you want kids that really make God their first love, then you got to be that, that dad or that mom that really makes God the first love. If you want kids that really enjoy God, then they got to catch you really enjoying God. And I'll tell you what, when you do that, when you do that, the training and the discipline and bringing them up in the Lord, it comes out in a given year a thousand different ways. And most of those ways, you're not even planning on, on, on that being a lesson. It just can't stay contained in you. It comes out. It naturally comes out. I also wanted to give you another strategy uh, for how we can be very intentional about bringing up our, our children in the, in the discipline 
and in the instruction of the Lord. And Rick, can you come forward? So uh, <clears throat> I think you guys know that, that not only is uh, Rick's son uh, being baptized today, but actually Rick is going to baptize his son today. And not only is he going to baptize his son today, but he actually, he and Irene really took an intentional approach to raising up their kids as well. And so, um, you know, Rick does this to everyone else. I'm going to do that. Rick, your son is getting baptized today. What are you going to do next? Disneyland. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to answer that. Okay, so Rick, I have four questions for you. Rick, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Now, um, I know that you and Irene must be very proud. You took an active role in mentoring your children. Can you tell us what was your hope, what was your expectation for your children, what was the goal in your parenting? Uh, for us, for Irene and me, it was what we really wanted to do was to prepare uh, Lindsay and Mitchell for life's challenges. Life's not easy. We wanted to make sure that they were prepared for life's challenges by really helping them to trust in God and to teach them to trust in God. Okay. And so how did you go about doing that? Well, I think that we had to be fairly deliberate about it, that every we had to look for opportunities where uh, we could help teach our kids where they could trust in God. Um, initially, for things like Lindsay, whenever she was preparing for a figure skating competition, we would take time to make sure that before every competition that we always prayed that God would just bless her and help her to do her best. Um, for Mitchell, when we had Little League games, that's what we would do is we would you know, pray uh, before his Little League games. But I think more importantly, in the last couple of years when they entered high school, uh, we became very much more deliberate, and that was uh, we really tried to take that 15 minutes that I had with each kid when I would drive them to school in the morning. And what we would do in that 15 minutes is that we would uh, talk a little bit about their day, but we would pray uh, every day uh, for them. It was a great opportunity to understand what, what they were doing, what was on their mind, what they were worried about. Um, but more importantly, I think for, that for Mitchell this last year, what we did was uh, a good friend of ours gave us a, a devotional, a daily devotional. And what we would do is we would read through that daily devotional. It would only take, you know, two minutes, three minutes. And that gave us a topic that we could talk about in that 15 minutes. And then we could talk about how, you know, if it was a verse on anxiety or, or uh, a verse on, um, you know, the Holy Spirit. We could, we could pray about that during that 15 minutes. Mm. So that became something pretty precious to me. And even when I would go on business trips, uh, Mitch and I would Skype, and we would, we would read through that devotional. So. Now, now, Rick, I was wondering if, if, if there are, are parents here who don't have that kind of mentoring time with their kids, and they're, maybe they're feeling inspired by, by you sharing, and they want to start one up. You know, maybe... I don't know, maybe it's before bed, or maybe it's during dinner, or maybe it's after church on Sunday, but, but at some point they want to do something like that. What would be, like, maybe one or two tips that you would give parents who want to start something up? Sure. Uh, I think it's important that you really have to be deliberate, and you really have to be prescriptive in what you want to do. If you want to raise your child to really trust in, in the Lord, you, you really have to look and be prescriptive for those moments. They just don't come along randomly. You, you know, one thing that you might want to do is, is look at the pattern during your day. Are there opportunities that maybe um, you have dinner together uh, every night that you could spend 10 minutes and you, maybe you can go through a devotional or ask, you know, what the highs and lows are of the day and how you can prepare, uh, pray for them. Or maybe it's right before they go to bed. 
or maybe it's you know if they have a sporting event that they could that you could take those opportunities to uh, how you can help uh, pray for the pray for them but you do have to be deliberate and you, hit, you do have to look for those moments those things just won't randomly come you have to be prescriptive thank you and Rick lastly I I've always wondered what it was going to be like. Um, like I think as, as parents, you just wonder, what is it going to be like on the day that I, I walk my kid down the aisle? You know? And I think today is kind of one of those moments where it's, it's not only is your son getting baptized, but you're baptizing your own son, which I think must be amazing. But also just that you've been actively preparing your son for this day, which in many ways is kind of like his wedding day. How, how, what's going through your mind? How are you feeling about today? How are you feeling now? I think the word um, that would describe my feelings would be blessed. And I feel blessed in three different ways. Uh, I feel blessed that each of my kids, Lindsay and Mitchell, have made their own decision uh, to follow Christ and to acknowledge Christ by being baptized. Um, I feel blessed in that uh, you asked about me being, baptizing Mitchell, that uh, that actually have the time and, and uh, that I'm part of their journey that I don't take for granted that I have today or tomorrow that I'm going to be here, but that I'm going to really try to make the most of it and that the Lord's you know, allowed me to do that. And then finally, uh, Irene and I feel blessed in that we are releasing both of our kids uh, to God, and he's a God that has a plan for them and a God that cares and loves and nurtures them even more than we love our own kids. So I feel blessed, and, and I know Irene feels blessed in that way as well. Thanks, Rick. I'll see you up there in the baptismal. Yeah. <clears throat> I do need to wrap up, and I, I just want to do a little bit of a review. I just actually want to charge you guys as a church. I know that there might be some very difficult relationships with mom and dad, and so I, as, your, as your pastor, as someone that prays and loves you, I just want to charge you. Honor your parents. They're a mini reflection of uh, your heavenly father, and he wants you to honor them. Okay? Maybe you can think about strategies right now for ways you can honor your parents. You do need to uh, put God as your first loyalty, and he comes back to you and says, yes, honor your parents. For all those of you who are, are parents, you now have this window of opportunity to mentor and to disciple your children. Make the most of it. This window is collapsing. You know, Soon it's just going to be what are you planning? You know, you, you make the decision, but now we have this amazing opportunity to disciple, to mentor, to train. Let's make the most of it. I charge you to bring up your kids in the training and the discipline of the Lord. Many, many, many years of fruit and benefit will come from this strategic time of investing in them. Don't waste it. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, on this Father's Day, we honor your Father. We honor our Heavenly Father. He cares about our relationships. He cares about our relationships with our parents. He cares about our, us as parents relating to our kids. Help us to walk in a way worthy of the gospel. It's for your glory. It's for the glory of your Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name.